Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V-Radio. Tonight, our guest is, once again, Stefan Molyneux of Free Domain Radio, and Aaron Moritz, also known as Say Days Ago from The Infinite Yes, who's also my partner in the upcoming Troll Film. First of all, I'm going to have uh, Stefan. Welcome to the show. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Oh, hi. Uh, my name is Stefan Molyneux. I am the host of Free Domain Radio, which is at, shockingly enough, freedomainradio.com, which is, I guess, the largest and most popular philosophy show in the world, in history, entirely due to my cosmic-spanning genius. Actually, no, it's mostly just the technology, but um, I like to take a little bit of credit. And I guess, have I been on you guys' show two times before? Twice. You've been on we mine. We did a debate. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, don't remember. I don't think it was twice. This would be the second time. But... It yeah. was probably so good that it felt like twice. <laughs> it was like quite that. a long show. This is my modesty moment, so. <laughs> right. And um, uh, Aaron, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, my name is uh, Aaron Moritz. I make a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, you can check all those out at theinfiniteyes.com. With no E in infinite. Uh, yeah, or with the E, whatever you, however you want to spell it, it will work. Oh, okay, good, good. Well, um, tonight I actually have Stefan on to talk about some things that we, you know, that, that this is, in other words, this is not really a debate show. It's more like an elaboration on some things that we agree upon. Um, in particular about the issue of the non-aggression principle. Um, Stefan had agreed to be involved in the project to make the troll film. We're going to be recording some of that, obviously, today for the footage that will be used in the film. Um, and it has to do with the topic of the concept that the non-aggression principle should apply to a, um, basically verbal and written aggression, which ends up being mental abuse and aggression. Um, and Stefan, when we talked about this previously, you had discussed that uh, you had actually stumbled across research that uh, there was actually a very strong potential for actual physical damage from mental abuse. Yeah, so I, I, I think that we just, there's two big categories, I think, that we want to talk about. And the first is adult, adult to adult, and the second is adult to a child, and in particular, parent to child. It's always important to remember that in any relatively free society, adult to adult relationships are voluntary and optional and so on. And so if somebody's being a real jerk to you or some friend is just calling your names or whatever, then you can just click the unfriend button and you have all of those kinds of choices as an adult. But of course, children are not in voluntary relationships. This is not a bad thing. It's just a fact of biology that children are dependent upon their parents and can't you know, switcheroo their parents to people who suit them better. And so with, with the parent-child relationship, there are two factors. One is the lack of voluntarism within the relationship. And the second is the developmental aspect that is occurring when the child is growing up. So uh, I'm not responsible if my neighbor gets fat, uh, but I am responsible if my daughter gets fat because I'm buying the food and I'm controlling to some degree her intake and, and so on. And so I think that's, those are really two really important distinctions. And so where I think I would have a tough time coming down that, you know, calling someone stupid uh, as an adult is a violation of the non-aggression principle, you know, repeatedly calling your child stupid, I think is definitely, it has uh, distinct effects upon, you know, lifelong effects upon depression, on, upon risk for substance abuse and, and uh, uh, dysfunctions like uh, smoking and, and excess drinking and promiscuity and so on, and it has measurable effects on the brain. And so I think because children are, in a sense, in a prisoner situation with regards to their parents, again, that sounds all negative, but I'm just talking about the biological reality of dependence, 
parents who verbally abuse and emotionally abuse, and those two things are worth distinguishing. Right? Verbal abuse is calling your child names, you know, fatty, stupid, idiot, that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas emotional abuse is sort of the, the manipulation and the guilting and, and the threats uh, of, of the withdrawal of affection and all that kind of stuff. And both of those things have distinct negative effects upon the development of the child's brain. In fact, the same brain areas light up when a child is verbally abused as when the child is physically hit. And there are many studies which show that verbal abuse and emotional abuse have more negative, longer-terming and deeper effects than physical abuse. And so, um, so I think that the parent-child relationship is where we want to focus the most attention, and for the final reason, of course, being that the best inoculation against verbal abuse as an adult is not to be verbally abused as a child, because then you're just much less likely to be bullied as an adult. Do those distinctions um, make sense to you guys? Oh, yeah, it certainly makes sense. And um, I mean, in addition, it also kind of plays into the topic that I was discussing as well, because um, cyber harassment, cyberbullying is actually taking place against children on the Internet, and it's leading to them committing suicide. Um, so it's it is interesting. I mean, it when, the, when it comes down to the non-aggression principle as applied to adults, I tend to think of it, you know, um, in fact, I got some libertarian friends of mine to agree about this, that for example, in the Libertarian Party, there's a lot of uh, ad hominem, a lot of personal attack in, in common discussion, and it's like an effort to shame somebody into going along with whatever it is that you think or you feel, and uh, as a result, you, you're essentially being aggressive with someone to try to get them, you know, even if they don't uh, agree with you, at least shut up about it so that nobody listening will, you know, take your side of the, you know, the conversation seriously. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, just speaking of aggression, if you could back off from your mic a bit, it's just getting kind of buzzy in my ears. Sure, is that? Better? I feel assaulted. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I think I think that's I think that's true. And there, of course, we can all imagine these scenarios wherein verbal aggression can result in harm to someone. Uh, there's a a film, uh, I think it's called Dog Bites Man, where some crazy guy makes his way into an old elderly woman's apartment. Uh, he invi she, she invites him in because he's a glib talker. And then he starts yelling at her until she has a heart attack and dies. Uh, so that's, you know, language is a, is, is a potential kind of toxin in the same way that, that food is a potential kind of toxin. Uh, and so language, you know, food goes into your mouth and can be poison, particularly if it is poison, and words go into your ear and have an effect on your brain in the same way that food has an effect on your physiology, except, of course, when you're developing, the changes in your brain can be permanent. And so it, people often think the non-aggression principle is like you know, punching and kicking and stabbing and shooting and so on. Of course, those things are. But how often do we experience those, you know, on a daily or weekly or annual basis? I mean, never, hopefully. But uh, in terms of verbal abuse uh, and emotional abuse, this is much, much more common. I would also argue that physical abuse, violence, physical violence is almost always predated by some form of verbal abuse. So imagine the, the, the Germans in the 1930s, uh, uh, the amount of propaganda that they imbibed about how evil the Jews were was enormous. I mean, the final solution, the, the, the Holocaust didn't come out of nowhere. Think of some southerner who's participating in, in the lynching of some poor black man. How much racism, verbal abuse against blacks has he imbibed since he was a child? How much fear and, and hatred and contempt and disgust has he imbibed verbally before he's able to participate in such a heinous crime? Uh, so I would say that verbal abuse and emotional abuse, if you really want to deal with the problems of physical violence, you really have to start with verbal and emotional abuse. They're necessary, but, but not sufficient preconditions for uh, physical violence. 
Now, well, we've also, and I, you know, because of course, like my initial point about this has to do with the internet, at least when it comes to do with the films. You know, we have actually through our research for the film, we've come up with more than one example of uh, things that have happened on the internet that have resulted in violence in real life. Um, uh, there was actually somebody I can't remember the lady's name uh, because it's been a while since I looked at the file. But Aaron, you somebody wrote to you about this actually about uh, the, an individual who you know just took things pretty far with this poor lady, and there was really nothing she could do about it. She was just endlessly harassed by this guy. Um, we've had several you know links and articles that we've brought up in the past about how this it, this gets taken so far, particularly. All right. So anyway, um, as I was just, I was basically getting at um, the the issue of more specifically, at least what I'm dealing with is uh, when it comes to the fact that people uh, behave in aggressive fashion in conversation, it becomes very difficult to actually reach any kind of resolution. Um, I think that especially when we when we're talking about political discussions or discussions, you know, that affect the the future of mankind. Um, that when we bring each other's personalities, you know, into the issue or more specifically someone's personal life or, you know, things along that line that essentially we're, we're attacking the person in order to detract away from the, the conversation at hand. Um, and I've seen so many different, you know, people who have tried to change the world, like politicians or whatever, um, who've essentially been rendered completely incapable of affecting change because of the fact that, you know, uh, somebody decided to drag the fact that maybe they had an illicit affair 10 years ago into the conversation or any number of other ways that people use aggressive speech, you know, to try to detract the audience, distract the audience away also. I mean, we talk about school. It seems like, you know, you learn this in high school, the idea that, you know, it's an acceptable way to, quote unquote, win an argument by just openly attacking the person that it is that you're debating with rather than actually going, you know, into the, the meat of the conversation itself. And in discussions with some people about this, I felt that that was another example of essentially using force or coercion or intimidation in order to affect social change, which to me, in spirit, violates the non-aggression principle. Well, I, I mean, it's a complicated set of issues, and I certainly can't claim to be definitive on them, but I would say that there are certain there are certain places in which the personality of the person is an appropriate thing to focus on, I think. So, for instance, um, you never see a diet book with a fat guy on the cover. I mean, if you did, that would be like a bad joke. You'd be like, oh, what are you talking about, right? I mean, there's, there's no guy who runs stop smoking seminars who starts up those seminars by lighting up a cigarette. I mean, it just doesn't happen, right? It would, it would be bad. It would be ridiculous. And so there are times when it's important to focus on the person before the content. Uh, it, you know, I was in the entrepreneurial field and I hired lots of people and, and so if somebody showed up to, to a job interview, you know, wearing, um, I don't know, a, a thong and a scuba top, uh, and a, snor a snorkel, they may be very well qualified, but they're not, they don't really understand how to present themselves. So that's just gonna have an effect. You show up for a first date, uh, you know, smelly and unshaven straight from the gym, uh, that's going to have an effect. So, you know, life is short and we don't have time to evaluate everybody's uh, arguments all the way through to the end. So, uh, so we do have to have an efficiency principle, which is I'm, not, I'm just not going to take diet advice from a fat guy. He may be right. He may be the, the best dietitian in the world. 
But he, either he has followed his own diet, in which case it doesn't work, or he hasn't followed his own diet, in which case he doesn't really believe in it. And again, he may be right, but given the efficiency principle that we all have with life is finite and time is precious, we have to make decisions. Uh, and so I think there are times when it is important to look at the person before you look. Right, so, so, I mean, if you, go to, um, if you go to a psychologist for help with, with depression and, uh, you know, he, he interrupts his first session to tell you that he's thinking of taking his own life, he may have the greatest psychological theories in the world, but you just probably wouldn't feel very secure trusting your mental health to such a person. So, I think there are times when it's appropriate to look at the person, um, but, uh, but that's usually not what happens in these kinds of situations. I just sort of wanted to point that out. Oh yeah, I mean obviously I'm I'm not going to, you know, listen to some like say a racist about my opinion on, you know, people of other races or something to that effect, but unfortunately, you know, if, if it was something like that, it, you know, it would be less salacious. It's when it's stuff that has nothing to do with anything that you're talking about, like um because I happen to be overweight, I I deal with that constantly. You know, it's like we're having an argument about say economics and then suddenly we're talking about how you know, you're fat, fat, fat every other sentence because the person uh, you know, I think it's actually a reaction to people being insecure about themselves because they maybe the argument isn't going in a direction that they would like. So now they want the audience to be thinking about, well, man, that guy's fat, you know, and, and therefore I'm going to start laughing at him. And, you know, I don't want to be associated with the guy who's getting laughed at. So therefore, I'm just going to go along with this other guy's side of the argument. Yeah, if I had a dime for every bald joke that... <laughs> That I heard it. Yeah. No, I agree, but I, I think that something deeper is going on there, and, and this is just, again, we, we want to try and dig as deep as we can to understand these kinds of issues, um, which I think we're, we're all interested in doing. I, I believe that human beings from, from day one, almost, are so astoundingly propagandized, you know, by church, by school, often by their parents, they're so propagandized that, that our belief systems are like 10-ton trucks standing on mile-high toothpicks. You know, they're very unstable, they're very delicate. And so the only thing that keeps them aloft is everyone saying, we don't touch those beliefs, right? And of course, the, the Venus Project and the Zeitgeisters have gone through this, as, I think, as much as, as anybody else, which is, you know, we, we just, we don't, we don't touch these beliefs, because if we do, we're going to find out that they're not based on anything. And so when people come in with foundational arguments, this occurs in economics, in psychology, in philosophy in particular, ethics in particular, and of course in parenting, child raising, and so on, where people come in with foundational challenges to existing beliefs, everybody feels like their whole world is about to collapse, is, 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 is hanging by a thread they didn't even know was there. They thought they were standing on solid ground, it turns out that they're you know, jumping up and down on a cloud and about to plummet. And so I think people really lash out in, in ways because they feel aggressed against, but it's their illusions that are being aggressed against, so to speak, by reasonable, rational, empirical arguments. And so if you look at the way that, that say, certain religious uh, people react to something like evolution, uh, you know, it, it threatens a worldview, it threatens certain things that are said in the Bible, and they tend to lash out. This is not the case with all, but it's a case with enough that it's worth noting. And so when you threaten people's false beliefs, uh, they get really upset because it threatens everything about their social reality. In other words, if they find out they've been propagandized, then they have to look at the people who propagandized them. You know, their beloved priest, their maybe good, good memory of their teachers, maybe certain things about what their parents did. And then they have this feeling, okay, so if I bring up the truth, if, if I accept the truth you're telling me and I attempted to bring it to the relationships that I have, how are those relationships gonna go? And the sad truth is that most relationships 
uh, a lot of relationships cannot survive a growth from prejudice or ideology to philosophy or science or truth. Uh, they, they're very unstable, they rest on propaganda. If that propaganda is questioned or overturned, then the relationship itself is, is very often threatened and very often terminal. So people feel that by bringing the truth to them, you are in a sense threatening their entire social reality. And that's very scary for people that they do tend to lash out at that. Right, that's definitely the case, and I, I think that people don't even realize that you know that they're engaged in that behavior. Um, I think it's also it's like a defense mechanism, and I I keep coming back to the way that children interact in schools. You know, the the way that they essentially are even encouraged to kind of you know even if they don't physically push each other around, it's the you know the never ending uh, fight to keep you know people conformed. You know that's. You know, and the, that's the funny part about it, really, is that you know the other children, say the popular children, don't actually have any real authority, but they still manage to assume authority, and they enforce it sometimes through physical violence, but also just through mental violence and mocking and ridicule and harassment, um, and it, it has a very serious effect on children in general. You know, uh, they go through. You know, and I honestly think that's actually the core of a lot of these violent outbursts that you see, you know, the, the Columbine kind of shootings, things like that. And I don't obviously by any means endorse what those children did in response, but I think that rather than looking maybe at violent video games and movies that people have been watching forever for these incidents of violence, we should probably be looking into the way that the social dynamic within the school works. And you tell the teachers about it when you're one of those kids, you tell the principals, and they don't they just kind of look at you blankly because they don't have a solution. Well, you can't, you, can't, yeah, you can't solve the problem of bullying within the schools until you change the schools fundamentally. I mean, you can't say to children you should not use aggression and force to get what you want when the children aren't there by choice. I mean, that's, that's the craziest thing to ask of children. Children are herded at gunpoint, literally at gunpoint, into those schools. In other words, if they don't want to go or if their parents don't pay the property taxes that are forced out of them in order to support these damned institutions, their parents are going to get thrown in jail. If their parents resist being thrown in jail, their parents are going to get shot. So, I mean, this is a basic reality that is very hard for people to look at. The degree to which we live in a, a murder-based society. We're just going to throw laws at people, throw them in jail, shoot them if they resist. That's how we get stuff done in our society. And it is contemptible, it is barbaric, it is primitive, it is destructive, it is eating the world by its own tail. And so, to me, to, to, to look at and this is what people do all the time, not you, of course. It's what people do all the time, is they see this, these huge problems in society, and they say, well, the problem, we need to fix the kids. No, 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 you need to fix the environment the kids are in. Uh, you know, if, if animals are behaving weirdly because they're in a zoo, lecturing the animals isn't going to help. You have to set them free. And so until education is set free from this historical, Prussian-based, coercive, violent indoctrination center called the modern school, there's no possibility. Of, uh, of dealing with the problem of bullying because the kids are bullied to be there and they're simply reflecting the environment that they're in. Well, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I remember I actually linked the video that you put up earlier about how we kind of, you know, create an environment. I mean, obviously, you don't have to sell us too much on that in the zeitgeist movement. We always believe the environment is the issue. Um, but, you know, the fact that, you know, we do kind of introduce them to violence from the very beginning um, in the notion that they're forced to be there. I know that uh, when I was going to school, especially towards the end, I mean, it didn't help that I was in a bad neighborhood and, you know, it was, you know, basically there was a siege mentality because you really could get shot after school. 
um, you know, directly and obviously not by members of the state at that point, but they weren't really in effect doing anything about it. You just kind of felt trapped the whole time you were there. And then you expect kids to learn in that situation. You know, it just it, it's not conducive at all. Well, and, and one, you know, one or the other system is going to win. I mean, we have for adults, we have a society of relative freedom. You can choose your own profession. You can choose to get married or not and who to get married to and so on. So for adults, we guard these freedoms to our chest. You know, we, we fiercely uh, guard them. And yet children live in this totalitarian North Korean Stalinist nightmare where everything is socialized, everything is communized uh, in the, the worst conceivable ways. Uh, the, the, the children don't have a choice to be there. The, the, the teachers can't be fired. Uh, that The parents can't choose a, a different situation. Uh, and so the whole thing is compulsory. And when you have a compulsory environment, a totalitarian environment for children, how on earth can you expect to protect and defend a free society as they grow up? Uh, these things are completely at war, and unfortunately, the totalitarian side is winning. Now, going back to the uh, topic of uh, the issue of like aggression and the ways that it affects us and the ways that it damages us, I mean, a lot of the work like Dr. Gabor Mate goes through, you know, talks about a lot of that stuff, um, and also that it has very permanent physical effects on you later in life. Uh, you gave a lot of really great statistics about the very real effects of, you know, stress and uh, corporal punishment used on children in one of your videos. Uh, and I think that, you know, very similar things apply to adults. Uh, obviously, you know, I remember domestic violence in my home, you know, from my stepfather to my mother. He worked in a very stressful environment and then came home and was inclined to drink alcohol to solve that problem. And then, of course, became violent afterwards. Um, you know, uh, I think that um, particularly with, when it comes to the Internet, I don't think people really realize, or maybe they do, but they don't realize enough that they're dealing with human beings on the other side. Uh, and so they kind of feel inclined maybe to get a little bit of personal revenge uh, in the same way that a bully would physically, only they're doing it psychologically, and the Internet provides them an avenue to do this with. Um, and I, I think one of the big things about what I want to say to people, though, is that I don't advocate by any means trying to regulate the Internet or introducing some kind of rules. It's more about hoping that we can awaken people in society to recognize the fact that we have this great gift of communication and that if we abuse it, that's actually what's going to lead to society being more interested in limiting it. Um, I still for you know never support legislations to do these kinds of restrictions, but on the same token, the, the more violent activity that takes place, it's like all the, the people who don't want anybody to own firearms, you know, the more violence there is, the more these people feel that that's an acceptable solution. Uh, people, it's fear, you know, people become afraid, they become afraid of firearms, then they become afraid of the internet. You know, I just actually just found a link, I don't know if you looked at it earlier, but there's a fellow who just got put in jail for two months for harassing a a couple of families who had just had loved ones died, he for some reason took it upon himself to go to their Facebook groups and start making really, really off color jokes about how the you know, how two children died. Children died. You know, and these people kinda hide behind the concept of free speech. Well I should be able to say whatever I want. And while I don't think throwing the guy in jail is gonna make the situation any better at the same token uh, those are the people that I think are, in my opinion, the most uh, the most dangerous when it comes to internet and you know internet regulation. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly you, regulation is only going to deal temporarily with a symptom, and uh, it's not going to deal with the cause. I mean, I think that the the psychology of it seems fairly clear, at least to me. I mean, what do I know? But, um, you know, people steal because they've been stolen from, because their childhoods have been stolen from. People lack empathy for others because they have not received empathy for themselves as children. I mean, asking somebody as an adult to speak the language of empathy when they've never been taught the language of empathy is like asking somebody to suddenly break into fluent Mandarin when they've never been exposed to the language before. It's not, they don't speak that language, and it's a long, painful, difficult, labor, time, and money-intensive process to teach somebody uh, the, the steps that were bypassed for them as children, right? So there's a, you know, in the first couple of years of life, 90% of your personality is shaped by your environment. And if you miss the windows uh, of brain development around empathy and so on, the mirror neurons which allow you to really empathize with the effects of your actions on others, you've just damn well missed those windows. And it seems d almost impossible to, to circle back and, and fix it. You know, like if, if somebody didn't get enough vitamins when they were growing up as a kid, it doesn't help to pour extra vitamins into them as adults. They just miss that window, and that's what they're left with physically, and the same thing seems to occur with the de development of the brain. If you miss the window uh, of, of growth, uh, it's really hard. It, I think it can be done, but it's really hard, and it's really painful to do it later. It's like if you get your bone, you know, some arm broken as a kid and it sets really badly and no one takes care of it, yes, you can do rehab as an adult to make it somewhat better, but it's a long, painful, difficult, and expensive process, which is why I think we really have to start focusing on prevention rather than cure, because the people who are the most damaged are usually the least interested in trying to fix themselves, because their damage is that they project all of their dysfunction onto everyone else, and so they think they're fine and everyone else is an idiot, and so they're the last people who will go for that kind of help, which is why I think the best we can, thing we can do is to focus on raising a generation which has less of this and recognize that it's almost impossible to fix people who are that broken. Yeah, I understand. Now, I wanted to draw Aaron into the conversation. Um, now, Aaron, you did a video about the uh, extra, basically kind of eval you know, more elaborations on the concept of the non-aggression principle. I know you and I had discussed the topic before as well. Um, so why don't you go ahead and give your commentary, and then let's you know bounce that off of Stefan and see what he thinks. Um, basically, it was a pretty short video. I just uh, went into kind of what we've been talking about with verbal aggression and how it will result in um, physical aggression and just non-communication. You're not going to get anything um, fixed, or you're not going to reach any conclusions by verbally aggressing against one another. And uh, also, I talked about, um, which is something else you've brought up to me, Neil, um, aggression against the environment or how uh, doing things that harm the environment obviously will have effects on real people. And if you are, say, polluting the air, you're basically aggressing against everybody who will be breathing that air. Yep, I agree with that, and I guess that kind of gets into the property rights is how libertarians would approach that. Um, but, Stefan, what do you think about the idea of the non-aggression principle also being applied to the earth that everybody lives on? I, I mean, I think that's, that's perfectly valid. Uh, there's no question. I mean, if, if, I lock, if I tie someone up in my garage and leave the car running, that's attempted murder because I'm putting toxins into their lungs. And make the garage a little bigger and replace the car with a smokestack and the principle still applies. There's no question in my mind 
that uh, pouring crap into the air that people are going to end up breathing and developing emphysema or other lung issues from is an absolute act of aggression. It doesn't matter how fast the poison is, you know, within certain limits. It doesn't really matter how fast the poison is. If it's still poison, then that's an issue, and uh, that's something that... I mean, I've written about this quite extensively, so I won't bore you with the details, but there's lots of, I think, very creative and intelligent solutions that will be brought to bear. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen in a status society because the government has so much power and the corporations have so much money that the corporations will simply um, take over the government and get preferential legislation. Uh, interestingly enough, at least for me, interestingly enough, uh, the old common law system was designed to solve this, right? So if I polluted a stream that ran past my neighbor, then I would owe him the damages of that, that this is sort of way back Middle Ages and, and, uh, and forward. And so and this was true of air pollution as well. And so uh, originally when the smokestacks began to come up in the Industrial Revolution, all the apple farmers uh, took these people to court and said, you, your soot is coating my apples and I'm losing all this money, so you all better deal with this soot, otherwise you've got to pay us for all these apples. And that raised the cost of production so much that it wasn't going to work out. So, uh, but the government, and I'm sure that there was money that handed uh, from capitalist to magistrate at this point, the government said, well, you know, basically we're getting more tax revenue out of the factories than we are out of the apple farmers, so sucks to be you, we're going to let them pollute whatever they want. And so with the government, you either get a hit or a miss, and that's about it. And in this case, it was a, a substantial miss that led to a huge amount of pollution that could have uh, could have been avoided. So, yeah, there's lots of ways to do it, but there's no question, yeah, you uh, you harm people uh, you don't have to touch people to harm them. You know, some guy's standing at the edge of a cliff, and I run up to him and go, blah, 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 <laughs> and he st takes a step backwards and falls to his death. I've killed him as surely as if I put a bullet through his heart. I mean, I don't have to touch someone to do them significant harm. And, uh, yeah, the, 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 the pollutants, whether they're through verbal abuse or smokestacks or, you know, just about anything else you could name that has a direct and measurable harmful impact on other people's well-being, yeah, I think that is all subject to the non-aggression principle. That's actually, you know, that's an excellent um, <laughs> and humorous uh, addition to all of that. I guess that's, you know, it's an interesting question that I posed because when I looked at that link, um, I was reading an article about that, and then I found myself kind of in a quandary, and I was reading the comments, and there were people arguing on both sides of it. Well, it's this kid's free speech to, you know, to go to these people's Facebook memorial websites where all of his friends and loved ones are remembering their, you know, dead children and say whatever he wants. And but on the you know, but on the other side of it it's like, wow, you know, why would anybody ever abuse their free speech that way? I guess it's you know, you find yourself in a quandary. It's like you're angry oh, I, at the guy I but can, at the same I can tell you why. Uh, I can tell you why. Look I'm I'm no psychic, but this doesn't take a lot of psychic ability. I can tell you why. People lash out like that for a very simple reason, which is that there is a massive code of silence about child abuse in our society. So I can guarantee you that this jerk, and let's not be you know, entirely flattering in our choice of words, it's pretty accurate, this jerk, let's say he's 20, uh, I guarantee you that he was abused by his family, uh, by his parents probably, or other caregivers, or other people who had authority over him. He was very badly abused, and he was in an environment where nobody did anything about it. And so he has got a lot of anger and contempt and scorn and rage towards the society 
that says over and over again, oh, children, we're all about the children, we care so much about the children, and family bonds are so wonderful. And he turns on the TV, and he sees every sitcom in the known universe where the parents are kind. And have you ever seen any kid get spanked in a sitcom it, or, or any kind of family drama? Never, except by a bad guy. Parents never raise their voice. They never verbally abuse. They never emotionally abuse. They never physically abuse. They never sexually abuse. And so he knows that society is entirely down with what peaceful and positive and philosophical parity looks like because it's all you ever see from the Cosby Show to the Family Ties to uh, the, the, the new one, Modern Family. It's all a peaceful, positive, happy, great parenting and everybody loves to watch it because that's what people claim that they want and that's what people claim that uh, they value and yet he was probably treated like complete crap by his family and everybody knew about it and no one stepped in to do a damn thing about it and so he's got this rage against a society that knows what the right thing to do is, worships the right thing at the altar of the media and doesn't do the right thing when it comes to stepping in to actually do something to protect children who are being hurt. That's where almost all of these people come from. That actually makes a lot of sense, and it's kind of obvious to me, and it's one of the things I hope to touch on in the film um, when I'm talking about particularly the kind of people we're, we're dealing with here, because there are people who really let this kind of stuff bother them. Like, they'll, they'll you know, they'll send me messages, yeah, this guy, you know, he's he's talking about me, and he's talking about my wife, and all this other jar, you know, garbage, and I'm like, well, have you ever considered the quality of the person in question, and you know how the moment somebody's decided that's you know that that behavior is appropriate, they should kind of drop off your radar as being anybody you should ever be concerned about their opinion of you. You know, and it it usually they they kind of get that, and it's a good way to kind of help digest it. And in addition to that, I mean, like you know, it, the the person in question in the article uh, apparently uh, is an alcoholic and who just I guess lives in his mom's basement and just drinks alcohol all the time. And, you know, he was supposedly uh, has Asperger's syndrome or whatever that is. <laughs> um, and as a result, just thought it would be, you know, funny to go, you know, ruin some people's, you know, grieving process. So, you know, obviously if he's, you know, as you pointed out in the, the statistics that you, you quoted in your spanking video, you know, that people who are involved with that are more likely to develop alcoholism and all these other negative traits. And it is unexpressed anger that they're taking out on other people. Um, you know, even the more mild trolls, like there's one uh, that I deal with fairly regularly. And, you know, I caught him once on his own forum uh, at one point just admitting to somebody that in person he's a very meek and mild personality and that he goes to the Internet to get out his aggressions. Uh, I, I imagine that what is probably happening is he's getting stressed out or angry at work and then he comes home and he wants to victimize somebody because he feels victimized and so he goes to the internet to bully people and that's the term that I remember using in the past was you know I'm sure you've heard the the term well God made men but Sam Colt made them equal in reference to firearms being the great equalizer now everybody can be violent you know it doesn't matter if the guy's bigger than you you could just pull a trigger and you can take him down and the internet creates an atmosphere where anybody can be a bully. It doesn't matter how big you are. Doesn't matter, you know. You, you can be completely anonymous about it, and you know you can get your, I guess, rocks off. But it's not, it's not healthy to do that. And I think what's even worse is that we as a society don't turn and look at that behavior for what it is and call it out. Oh yeah, tr trolls. Trolls are only effective because people have a hard time seeing them. There's no question. I mean, but I, I, I sort of think. First of all, I think how 
how how unutterably miserable these people must be on the inside. I mean, that that just. I mean, I get angry about it sometimes, but but it fundamentally, it just it's it's truly, just tragic and awful. How how unhappy these people must be. I mean, character assassination is one of these things. It's just it's a it's a gun that goes off in your own face. I mean, the bullets never hit; they just go off in your own face. And the other thing I think as well is that it's it's like a temptation that is is reinforcing. Uh, the, the sort of behavior or the, the choice that the people make to be aggressive, whether it's, doesn't matter, it's on the internet or wherever, wherever people choose to be aggressive. You know, there's an old Spanish proverb that says, uh, habits begin as cobwebs and end up as chains. You know, so at the beginning, there's just, oh, you know, I feel a little better doing that. And then you're like, oh, but I really shouldn't. Say, oh, you know, I feel, I'll do it, I feel a little better. And I do it again and then do it again. And it changes who you are to, to, to do this kind of, in the long run, and it doesn't even take very long, weeks if not months. It changes who you are as a human being, and I, I think that what ha what is happening is people are taking the train tracks of their habits, and then they're taking them, or pointing them away from the uphill, sunny, uh, wonderful mountaintops with the beautiful view of the future, and they're taking it down into a dark, festering Mordor-type valley from which it's very, very hard, if not impossible, to back out from. And so every time people act out this way anywhere in their life, where they lash out, or they put someone down, or they hurt someone to make them feel feel better, each one of these things is not terminal. You know, it's like uh, each donut doesn't make you a diabetic, but after a certain amount of time, damn it, you're just a diabetic and you can't go back. And so it's each individual choice to do it that is so heartbreaking. And people, I think if they knew where that road led, they'd run from it screaming. But each individual choice, like each individual cigarette, feels good at the, in the moment and stopping feels bad. But if people knew the sort of spiritual lung cancer they were heading for, that is truly terminal. And it's the worst kind of illness because it will kill your soul without killing your body and then you become one of the walking dead and the most dangerous specimens of humanity and so I think it is truly tragic the degree to which people take these little hits uh, of, of dominance and destruction without realizing just where it's going to lead them and, and boy it's I've seen this in my own life with people that where it leads is so unutterably ugly and desolate that uh, people would run if they saw it but they don't see it till it's too late for the most part I've seen research that it actually alters your brain chemistry over time. Uh, apparently, lying does the same thing. Uh, but you know, any kind of behavior that you repeat over and over again, especially if it's something that has a chemical effect, and you know, we tend to forget that our brains are basically chemical computers. You know, you repeat any kind of behavior over and over again, especially if you're doing it for some kind of emotional fix. Uh, you know, in the, at the end of the day, emotions are basically just chemicals too. And if you, you know, repeat the same one over and over again, you will create an addiction, uh, especially if you're doing it in some way to unhealthily self-medicate yourself. The people whose uh, self-esteem has been destroyed by a bully somewhere else are trying to self-medicate that by trying to take it from someone else. Yeah, and, and the, I think the soul dies when the restitutions for the wrongs you've done can no longer be achieved, right? So if, if I say to you, I don't know, some fit of anger, I say, oh, you're a stupid jerk or something. I can't remember. I, I can't imagine I would say something. But if I did say something like that and it hurts your feelings, I could call you back up and I could say, oh, man, look, I, there's no excuse for that. That was completely wrong. Um, you know, what can I do to make it up to you? Uh, tell me how you're doing. I mean, that was just, I mean, a, a terrible, a terrible thing to do. And I took ownership for it and I took responsibility for it and I tried to make amends. You know, I, I could repair it and it would take some time, but so on, right? So if, if you hurt someone personally, then you can do stuff to, 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 to offer restitution for what it is that you've done. The problem with the internet is, you know, it's a 
it's a no mulligan planet out there on the internet, right? I mean, once you, uh, if, if you go lash out at people anonymously, you go lash out at people wherever, then you don't know the harm you've done and you can't create restitution for the harm that you've done because maybe you can call the person who you've harmed and, and try and sort it out or solve it, but everyone else who's been harmed by watching it or, you know, that, that in general you've contributed to the, the disintegration of human civility on the planet, you really can't do, and of course if you're a professional nasty guy on the web, then you've put out lots of this kind of stuff in lots and lots of places and then you can't undo it. And once you can't undo the wrongs you've done, uh, I think you're done as far as uh, spiritual growth goes. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's it's actually amazing to me over the course of my studies just how much energy some of these people put into this. Uh, you know, there are blogs where people just spend all of their time, you know, Internet stalking other people, looking for ways to embarrass them or, you know, taking their photos. And, you know, it's like they keep it up on a, such a regular basis. you got to wonder to yourself, what else in this person's life are they neglecting to keep this going? Like, I hope they're not a parent who's not spending time with their children because instead they have to go work on this blog where they're harassing this person who they've never met and likely never will meet to deal with whatever demons are going on inside them. Well, yeah, of course, they're not dealing with any of those demons, right? I mean, that's the point. It's a distraction. I mean, yeah, it's a distraction. I read one study um, once that said that uh, the majority of people who are bullies um, uh, have uh, impotence issues. I mean, not not spiritual impotence, but like, you know, Dick Skywood <laughs> impotence issues. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that, of course, is a pretty troubling thing, I would imagine. So uh, that may be uh, some driver behind it. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's not a much-studied phenomenon, which I think is a, real, is a real shame. And it is something that relies upon uh, a, a, a troll can't act alone, right? I mean, a troll has to have uh, people who will fuel the fire, right? I mean, uh, and this is true of, of bullies as a whole. And uh, I think if we were better at seeing dysfunction, I mean, f first, if we were better at seeing dysfunction, then we could actually perhaps even reach out to try and help people. I mean, I had a guy on my uh, board, he, he, I wouldn't call him a, a, a total troll, but he was pretty verbally aggressive, and I asked him to stop posting a couple of years ago, and uh, he came back and uh, he said, listen, you know, I'm sorry, I, I get it, and, uh, and I'm like, hey, come on back, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I don't have uh, time or energy to hold grudges, so... Uh, and he's been great, you know, he's been really helpful and, and creating a lot of um, uh, positive uh, interactions and uh, giving great information on the message board on the website. And so, uh, you know, people can learn and they, and they can grow and they come back. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, the people who are banned, of course, will often make some kind of stink. And I just think that's, that's silly. You know, if, if, if being on someone's message board, it's like, it's like being on a date. You know, so if the date doesn't work out, let's say I, I, I don't know, go out with some girl and then she doesn't want to go out with me again and so I set up a blog, uh, I don't know, cursing her in every way imaginable, I think people would kind of understand that she probably did make a good decision to not go out with me again if that's the kind of guy that I am. And so I think that there is, um, yeah, there is this real tragedy. It's a, it's a loss of, it, lots of people are very verbally acute. Bullies can often be very verbally skilled and you just, you just kind of think, boy, if you could, if you could turn that uh, that kind of power for good. I mean, imagine the good that uh, that could be done in the world if people took that kind of negative energy and put it into something positive. But that's a pretty hard super tanker to turn around after a time. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, Aaron, did you have anything further as far as commentary on what we've said so far? Um, no, I'm actually, I've just been listening. You guys are 
good. You're going at it. <laughs> oh, and I've been banned too. I mean, I, I've been banned. Uh, I used to be an objectivist, and uh, I don't really, it doesn't really matter the names of the places, but uh, I would occasionally post some of the stuff that I thought would be of interest to objectivists because that's very close to the anarchist uh, anarchist position. And uh, I got kicked off a couple of objectivist boards just because people found out that I was an anarchist. And, you know, I mean, if I were a troll, then I would immediately go back and censorship and totalitarianism, and if you don't agree with everyone here, they'll just ban you, and I'd start creating blogs and, I don't know, whatever, right? It's like, good lord, it's their message board. If they don't want me around, that's no problem. I've got a life. Uh, but, but, yeah, it is, um, you know, it is, it is hard to get into the mindset. But, but, again, I just, you know, I just, I, I go back to what, what agony, what agony, what pain deep down the, the, these people must must be going through that this seems like a good use of time that this seems like a gift the only gift that they feel they can or want to or are able to give to the world is that kind of negative and destructive energy and this again it's not the internet in particular it's all over the place but I mean how my goodness I mean how much agony must you be in that this feels like uh, like a good thing to do with your time well, yeah, and I've been trying to emphasize that. Unfortunately, and it, well, it really depends. And like you kind of brought up an interesting point uh, in regards to them needing an audience. And it, like if it's just the average troll that you're dealing with, you know, just some guy who's you know being a jerk, you can just hit ignore, and that'll be the end of it because he's really looking to get a rise out of you. Unfortunately, there are some people out there that are devoted to kind of something else. Like you know, they run in packs. That's another thing. You get these. These people even have like uh, websites where they go gather and compare notes on their ability to cyber harass people, um, and they pat each other on the back. Whether you're responding at that point is optional. You know, they totally are. You're know, like, oh, did you see this thing I did? Yeah, I made this great YouTube video, and it totally crushed this guy. And you know, and so they they will just feed it. You know, they feed it to each other. You know, uh, basically. And, and also, if they have a motive, like, for example, uh, one of the guys who is a blog where he harasses me uh, flat out stated that he would stop doing it if I left the Zeitgeist movement. So he, and he basically threatened me. Uh, he stated, you know, if you continue to be part of this political action movement, I'm going to continue to post links about your personal life that are mostly made up. I'm going to continue to, you know, take, you know, clippings that I've gotten off of your Facebook and I'm going to continue to make fun of your children and you know and at that point that's another reason why it feels like it's a violation of the non-aggression principle because he's trying to affect uh my behavior and he's going to terrorize me until i go along with it um and there are people who do this and i you know once again i don't think that they they recognize it you know in just in general speech on a day-to-day -day basis it's like i'm threatening your self-esteem and mm. if i start my argument with well you're stupid for believing this way I'm already um, at that point trying to engage you on a level that's not, you know, intellectual. I'm trying to push you away, you know, push you into believing the way I want you to believe, or even just uh, conceding because you don't want to look bad in front of all of the people who are listening, which <laughs> is also, I feel, an issue of aggression because you're, if you're ridiculing somebody, it goes beyond just the issue of trying to hurt someone's feelings. It's the fact that you a you're distracting the audience away from the weakness of your own argument. In other words, you're trying to basically throw a smoke bomb down, so to speak, to keep people from really thinking about how bad your own argument looks, which is bad for everybody in the situation. And b um, you are trying at that point to humiliate the person into going along with you or at least retreating. And both of these things, I think, hold back mankind so much. 
in so many of the debates that I've seen, you know, this is one of the reasons why discussing things with you was so refreshing because mm. um, if you remember, like Michael Badnerick, I don't know if you if you keep track of anything that goes on in the Libertarian Party. One of the first things, because they brought him back to make a speech because people were interested in him because of his constitution classes that people were watching during the Ron Paul revolution. And he came up and they were expecting him to give like a rah-rah speech to revitalize the Libertarian Party. And he just went in there like swinging. He was like, um, you guys can't sell ice water in the desert. That was his word. And he said, and largely because, you know, you constantly bicker and fight. You spend endless amounts of time on ad hominem attacks and personal attacks, and anybody who doesn't agree with you just a little bit, you start screaming at them that they're a socialist. You know, and I, it occurred to me that he was absolutely right. And I remember all of that when I was uh, when I was a big part of the Libertarian Party. I remember being like under siege the whole time by the supposed free-thinking society that was spending all of its time insulting anyone that did not think exactly like them. Yes. Um... I, I like Michael. I mean, I had a very four-hour debate with him, which was just completely delightful at um, Drexel University in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. And um, I think he's a, he's a smart guy. He's he's obviously passionately passionately. I mean, I don't think I've met anyone who's so passionately committed to a particular cause. Uh, and I think he's he's really taken some hits for it. And um, so I I have a lot of admiration. For, for what he's done. Um, yeah, there's the narcissism of small differences, it's called, or the vanity of, of small differences. Uh, when you're close to somebody in ideology, uh, you feel that uh, differences are much larger because you engage with those people more than somebody who's completely on the opposite side. And yeah, I mean, I got a lot of very, very positive comments about the debate that we had uh, about um, a variety of economic and political issues because it was an enjoyable debate. Uh, I think we all respected each other's viewpoint. And uh, it's, um, uh, you know, people who aren't trained in a rational methodology uh, tend to be, tend to view debates or conflicts as win-lose. Like either I'm going to crush you or you're going to be, cr or you're going to crush me. And this is simply people who've been raised without any philosophy or without any science or without any objective third-party discipline, you know, like reason or the scientific method or mathematical validity or whatever. It doesn't have to be personal, you know, it, the, the best argument should win and everybody benefits from the best argument winning, but so many people, it's like sports, one guy wins, there's no win-win in sports, <laughs> one guy wins and one guy loses, like war, one guy wins, one guy loses, um, and, but, but that's not the way that I think philosophy or productive human encounters work, productive human encounters is, I'll bring my ideas, you'll bring your ideas, we'll bring our best arguments, and, you know, if, if you beat me, then I've actually gained something really valuable, which is a better argument and better knowledge and, and vice versa. So you can't lose if you have an objective third party, a rational way of resolving disputes. If you don't have that, which is why religions tend to be so much at war, which is why governments tend to be so violent and destructive, because that's all just win-lose. Politics and religion and other things is just win-lose. There's no win-win. And so this is, I think, where we try to bring as much rationality and empiricism to debates as possible, because then everybody can win, and your ego isn't invested because it's not win-lose, and, and your status is not knocked it down in some primitive totem pole kind of way, uh, because you don't have this jeering, idiotic crowd saying, you know, crush him, like wrestling or something, you know, it's win-win. It's, it's that's what you want. And that's the way economics works, that's the way philosophy works, that's the way every you know, reasonably modern and enlightened discipline works is that everybody wins when the truth is advanced. That's actually the exact goal that I would hope that people would have with communication. And I've definitely had much more positive experiences when everybody respected everyone else. 
than I ever did, you know, listening to people sling mud at one another. Uh, it actually, in so many ways, I feel, has hindered mankind's ability to communicate and meet on certain issues. Like, I'm sure, for example, you know, you and I's debate about resource-based economics versus, you know, um, anarcho-capitalist economics um, definitely taught people more on both sides of the debate than, say, the argument I could have had, say, with that Rudy Davis fellow, although he, he was doing his best to be nice, or some of the other people that I've debated with in the past who just spend all of their time. It it doesn't take long before we're talking about you're fat or, you know, you're this or you're an idiot or... Or a socialist or, you know, you, uh, you, uh, you're in league with the devil or, you know, you just want, you know, like you want, like this thing they just had where, where Ron Paul was, uh, was asked if somebody doesn't have insurance, should they just be allowed to die? Like the only choice that we have is to use violence and debt and, and protectionism to inflate the cost of health care and to subsidize it by selling off the unborn to creditors. That's the only choice, that side or letting them starve to death. There's no other choice in the universe called, you know, charity or voluntarism or prevention or advancements in medicine or getting rid of regulations and getting rid of restrictions on entry to the medical field and letting midwives practice and so that people can get cheaper med. Like, there's no other choices. It's either the system we have right now or letting them starve to death, I mean, letting them die for want of medical care. And, and so some people said, yeah, he should be allowed to die. And suddenly it all became about that and not about anything else, about, oh, these Ron Paul supporters, they want people to die who were sick and so on. It's like, ah, oh, God almighty, you know, this is the 21st damn century. You know, we can listen to messages from interstellar space. We can bounce lasers off the moon. We can send spacecraft out of the solar system. Can we raise the debate standards of mankind a little bit past Cro-Magnon Neanderthal levels. That's so essential for us to move forward. Absolutely. Um, especially when you're when you're dealing with things that are so important. Hmm. You know, you'd think that we'd have to be able to put these things aside. You know, you'd have to be able to put these these personal issues aside. I've seen so many good conversations end because people have decided to drag it down to that level uh, that you know, real productive conversations, real good exchanges of ideas were were, were being had, and then now all of a sudden we're, we're discussing something completely unrelated and stupid, you know, and immature, childish even. And it's amazing the kind of people who get away with it, you know, uh, people that we believe are our leaders. We let them get away with that. And the funny thing is, is that people are conscious of it, but they just choose not to do anything about it. Like it's just that's just the way it is. Yeah, and of course, my argument would be that all you're seeing is the effects of early child abuse, that, that people's fight-or-flight mechanism is overwhelming their neofrontal cortex, is overwhelming their capacity to deal with emotional discomfort and to pursue the truth anyway. And that just, I mean, you know, the, the brain science seems very clear that early trauma leads people to have an exaggerated fight-or-flight mechanism that very easily overwhelms their restraint and rationality centers in their mind. So uh, all I see when I see that stuff going on is I see, you know, frightened and bullied children who got really big and really powerful and never grew up. Very true, very true. Taken to its worst extreme, I'm afraid. I've always asked people, you know, it'd be interesting to look, for example, into the history of somebody like Adolf Hitler. You know, what happened to him when he was a child? Oh, that's known, actually. That's known. I mean, he was, he was, he was viciously beaten by, by his father and uh, just, I mean... I'll give a plug for a book that I've, I've read it as an audio book, though I, I didn't write it. It's written by um, uh, Lloyd DeMoss. It's, uh, it's on my website. It's free. Uh, it's called The Origins of War in Child Abuse. 
and it's a, a very, very well-researched, uh, historically and scientifically and neurochemically, a very well-researched book that I've tried to put as much energy as, as I can into getting out there because I think it's so important. Uh, it's called The Origins of War and Child Abuse. It's at freedomainradio.com forward slash free. It is free, uh, and uh, it's well worth either listening to or reading because I think it makes a very strong case that war uh, has its origins in child abuse and uh, the countries that go to war uh, are the countries that have had the most unbelievably wretched childhoods. And Germany understood, Germans understood this very well after the Second World War because, you know, my family is half German and, and half Irish. They were sort of on opposite sides of the war uh, in, in the Second World War. And when my cousins would come over in the late 60s and early 70s to play, my German cousins would come over. They weren't even allowed to touch guns. They weren't allowed to play war. They, they, they were encouraged to work out differences reasonably because the Germans really got that the war came out of this unbelievably medieval ways that they raised children in the 19th and early 20th century. And this is one of the reasons why the German economy is so strong and one of the reasons why the, the, the two most abusive countries in the Western world, uh, England and America, are the ones most consistently going to war. Uh, so the, the, the countries that treat their children the worst are the countries that end up going to war because war is the overwhelming of rage in the face of possible diplomacy, and that is directly analogous to the amygdala over, overwhelming the neofrontal cortex and taking away choice and replacing it with brute uh, rage and, and lust and, and the, the, the greed for power. Okay, um, a caller wants to be added to the call. I'm going to go ahead and put them on now. Caller from the 713 area code, you're on the air. <clears throat> Great. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Um, I'm just uh, listening, and, and I'm in the middle of reading a, a book by uh, by Gordon Newfield and Gabor Mate. It's called uh, "Hold On to Your, to Your Kids: Why Parents Should Matter More Than Peers." And all of these behaviors that you're discussing tonight can be directly linked to our being in a peer-oriented culture, a peer-oriented society. Peer-oriented, uh, uh, peer-oriented kids grow up being peer-oriented adults as well. But uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book or the terminology I'm discussing right now. Are you? Uh, I've not read the book, but I've heard the argument, and I think it's a very good one. Yeah, it, uh, it's that peer-oriented kids. When you have kids around other kids, they're they're peers because they're they're attachment figures, they're role models, and they are not mature themselves. So any sign of vulnerability is attacked first off by by this peer oriented culture. And any kind of uh, any kind of maturation is stifled as a result of it because their their attachment to a living adult caregiving parent uh is uh, or parenting caregiver to, to quote them is uh is 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 gone. They don't have that uh that adult figure that is loving and encourages questioning things and being an individual and all these things. So what ends up happening is uh, you have like a Lord of the Flies kind of situation. In that book, they actually discuss uh, some kids and other kids. And uh, the, the kids actually like held some girl's head in water. He was smoking a cigarette while he was doing it, being cool in front of his friends. This is a group thing. And they were just cold about the whole thing because being vulnerable is is I mean if you're vulnerable then you're attacked. So you yeah. learn to never be, become vulnerable. So you never learn to mature. So therefore you have all these people attacking each other like they're three years old. 
So they're 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 have a preschool mentality, but they're adult bodies. Let me just uh, I'd like to comment on that, and that's a great point that you're raising. And I'm going to have a short rant, and I'm going to use extreme terms, but you know this is just really because I feel so passionately about this topic. Adults are extraordinarily absent from the lives of children these days. Adults, I'll say it again, adults are extraordinarily absent from the lives of children these days. Uh, I myself am a stay-at-home dad and have been for, I guess, coming up for three years now, and I plan to do it for the foreseeable future. And it's very different from the way that I was raised. When I was raised, um, you know, I mean, I was, in, I was in daycares, and when you're in a daycare, you have, and I worked in a daycare, no matter how much you want to care about the kids, you have lots of children and relatively few adults. And so the children are going to end up spending more time with each other than they are with the adults. But children need adults. They need adults around them to demonstrate what maturity looks like, to help them to resolve disputes, to help guide them uh, into being less greedy, learning how to share. I mean, children are primitive, let's face it, and they're charming and beautiful that way, but they really need adults. And adults have largely been stripped out of children's lives over the last generation or two simply because it's a combination of two things, right? I mean, so one is the feminism said to women, that some feminism said to women, go out and work, that's your way to be fulfilled. And yet still, you know, a lot of women wanted kids and then ended up going out to work. And it's like, I don't understand why you would have children and then have other people raise them and raise them badly. It's always going to be the case when the children vastly outnumber the parents. And the second thing is, when women went out to work, that created a huge amount of collateral uh, because of the, you could tax women's work, but you couldn't tax women's child raising and housework, created a huge amount of collateral for the government to expand, for the government to use uh, the, the tax uh, income from women to borrow more, to, to go into greater deficits, to bribe more people, to the point now where taxes are so high that very few women can choose to stay home even if they want to. So children are growing up without much adult one-on-one -on -one time where they actually learn how to become a civilized human being. And you're right, it's this horizontal, under-the-table, Lord of the Flies, kick, grab, take, steal, pinch, uh, as spits, uh, whatever, and it tends to go down to the lowest common denominator. And if you look at how celebrity culture works, it's exactly the same as preschool. When you're a kid, if you're a little boy, what do you care about? You care about superheroes and dinosaurs and big, scary, strong things. And this grows up to become superheroes in the movies and wrestlers and, and, and guys who work out and have six-packs and all that kind of crap. And uh, so you end up with this exaggerated celebrity culture is like, is like a direct mirror of what goes on when, when children are very young. They don't aspire to be good, virtuous, wise, helpful, healthy people. They aspire to be big and strong or women, uh, uh, they, they want to be princesses and dress up and be attractive and all this kind of stuff. And then this mutated celebrity culture is directly coming out of the fact that children are using each other as value models, which is not a good idea. And they're not having nearly enough time with adults to learn how to grow into civilized and mature human beings. And that is crushing the progress of the species. That's actually very accurate, and um, I believe you had Dr. Gabor Mate on your show at one point. I've had him twice on mine as well, and he echoed everything that you just said about how we don't have enough uh, adult supervision. Kids are just kind of raised around kids, and, and therefore they're not really uh, you know, evolving. They're not going further than those, those, same, you know, those same behaviors. And sorry, just to be clear, he didn't talk about that on my... I'm not trying to steal his ideas without crediting him. I just thought of this stuff. It's good to know he's coming along to the way I'm thinking about it, though. No, but it's, I just wanted to be clear about oh, it. Oh, no, that's just what he said on my idea. show. I, yeah. I didn't get a chance to watch the one that you had with him. I just... <gasps> just kidding. Yeah, so no, and I, so it's good. And I mean, anything that, that uh, Dr. Mate says that I happen to coincidentally say, I'm very proud of, because I think he's, he's just great, so... 
But yes, that's a great point that the listener, uh, the caller brought up, and thank you so much for mentioning that. And what was the name of the book again? Uh, it was Hold On to Your Kids by Dr. Gabor Mate. Right. Um, very good book. I recommend it to everyone. And to those of you who are interested, you can go to v-radio.org, uh, and you can go to the archives, and you can get, I believe I've interviewed Dr. Gabor Mate three times on the show. I'd have to go look. It's been a while. Um, and uh, speaking of which, just for a quick shameless plug, uh, where can they look uh, for the episode where you talk to Dr. Gabor? Oh, uh, it's youtube.com forward slash free domain radio. Uh, you can just do a search in, in there or Mate free domain or whatever. Uh, M-A-T-A-G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T funky little E with an excellent Guru or something. But um, yeah, you can find him there. He's um, uh, he's he's fantastic. I mean, I I think he's uh, he's very honest and he's he's very he's got a kind of slow Gandalf kind of wisdom to him, which I think is is really very uh, very attractive. And he really does put. He's a great writer too. His books are highly recommended. And the Realm of the Hungry Ghost is a very powerful work. So yeah, he's uh, he's great. Excellent. Um, but yeah, I think you'd really like, uh, particularly after discussing it with you a little bit. I think you'd really like his ideas about parenting and all that. So, but anyway, um, now. Uh, we move on also to the the value of using the and, and understanding logical fallacies and how they are used uh, against people to prevent them from thinking. Uh, this is actually one of the major things I want to focus on in my film to try to help people learn these things as kind of like a, a self-defense for the mind. There are so many different ways that other people will try to, quote unquote, pull the wool over your eyes with various little tricks, uh, the straw man, the red herring, the ad hominem, you know, the, and I think that one of the major reasons why I suggest to people that they need to educate their brains on how to recognize these tactics is that it's the best way to defend yourself. Even if we were to regulate the Internet, one of the other things that I've been stumbling across in my research is that governments, uh, corporations have all plugged into this notion that uh, the Internet and popular opinion, and more specifically making something look unpopular, is extremely powerful and they use these uh, these tactics willy-nilly, uh, like they have people pretend to be consumers going to other people's websites and, you know, slamming on their products like the Xbox, you know, 360. There might be people from Sony on those forums saying, I hate this system. I despise it. This is why. This is why. Or uh, we've got like evidence of like uh, there's a Tea Party lecture that you can watch where they say to do this for any liberal book, just do searches on Amazon and rate all the liberal books at one star, even if you haven't read them, and then rate all the conservative books five stars, even if you haven't read them. And I understand these people are passionate, but that's like, at that point, it's kind of a question I tell people is that you need to learn how to be able to think and how to prevent other people from keeping you from thinking. And that's hmm. the best way to defend yourself against a lot of these tactics. What do you think about that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say this without a shred of humility, and uh, then people can tell me what an arrogant jerk I am. But I genuinely believe that I'm not going to stroll up to Eric Clapton and start jamming with him because I suck at the guitar. And I know that I suck at the guitar. I've tried, I really have played it till my fingers bled as the Canuck sings, but. Uh, I just, I suck at the guitar. I did 10 years of violin. I wasn't too bad at the violin, but guitar uh, is, is just bad all over. I just, you know, can't, can't get it down. But I recognize that. I, I, even though I spent, I don't know, how many hours trying to learn the damn thing, I can do one song badly. I mean, it's embarrassing. I had to stop. I had, just had to stop. But I know that that. And I genuinely believe 
that the statistics seem to be it takes about 10,000 hours to become really good at something. Really, like really fluently good at something. It takes about 10,000 hours. One of the reasons the Beatles were so good is they went to Hamburg for a, a couple of years and played for 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day. I mean, this is one of the reasons they're so good. And so I, I really believe that it takes... And, and I, people don't understand that about philosophy. Every damn fool who can type thinks that he can debate philosophy or understands philosophy or know how a rational argument works. And I think that we're born pretty rational. I mean, my daughter's two and a half and can out-argue me sometimes. I mean, she's just really, really rational. But I think so. We're born that way, but it's replaced with all this junk that serves the powers that be. But I get that one of the things I've done is I've, since the age of 16 or so, I have been working really hard on philosophy. And I have, I, I totaled it up. I have about 30,000 hours of philosophy under my belt over the past, um, it's almost 30 years now. And so I'm, I'm good at it. I'm, I mean, I'm certainly not, I'm not immune to mistakes or, or these kinds of things, but, but I'm pretty good at it. And, um, and I respect that. I don't think that because I've seen a couple of Bruce Lee films that I can jump into a black belt judo competition and do anything other than get my ass kicked and fall over. So, uh, so I recognize that, but the problem is that people don't recognize that. And this is a point that Herbert Spencer made in the 19th century. He says, you know, it's not bad to have opinions about economics. It's just that when you don't know how little you know, you can be very dangerous. And this is very true when it comes to things like ethics and philosophy and, and even debating. Look, it takes a lot of training to debate. I mean, I started debating formally when I was in in, uh, I guess, 16 or 17 in high school, I, I debated through, all through university, went all over Canada and, and some parts of North America doing these formal professional debates. It takes a long time to learn how to do it properly and to learn how to, you know, you don't just give some idiot on the street corner a knife and say, my appendix is hurting, can you just get to work? No, you want someone who studied it for a hell of a long time so they don't screw it up. And the same thing is true when it comes to debates. So for me, you know, I, I sort of feel like I'm a, I'm a prize fighter who's been training for like 20 years and has really quick footwork and a couple of championship titles under his belt. And these little girl guides come in and start swinging with their cute little fists thinking that they're doing some damage. And it's like, you, you need to train. You, you, there's no shortcuts. You need to learn this stuff. Uh, and it's embarrassing for me to see how many people wade into debating having no idea, having no idea how to establish an argument, how to support with evidence, how to avoid the common logical fallacies, which we've all been trained into using by all the crap we learned in high school and junior high school. But people don't know how little they know, and they get really sensitive when you try to point that out, right? I mean, so, you know, it's, it, to me, it's just watching a bunch of people wade in, like, it's, it's just watching a bunch of idiots wade into a, a, a field of expertise with loud opinions who know almost nothing about what they're doing and are just getting in the way of people who do. And then afterwards, of course, you know, they, they don't have to do any of the studying that you and I have done. They can just call me fat and you bald and then yeah. focus on that for a while. And then they've won, you know, because, of course, we stopped talking to them, which in which in the aggression language means yeah. <laughs> he's running away. Yeah, he's running away. He can't take the power of my arguments, and he's uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, but this is this is the price of of helping to you know do our little bit to save the world. I mean, this is you know you have to deal uh, with the fact that um, debate and philosophy and argumentation and economics just one of these areas that you know. Everybody who's an idiot thinks that they know what they're doing. And, look, I mean, I do meet some people who, 
you know, school me on various things. I've, I've corrected myself on air in the face of superior arguments. I think that's wonderful. I think it's fantastic. But people who don't know how to do it and don't know that they don't know, well, see, that's not a big deal, right? But if I go into some judo competition, you know, pretend to kick and fall over, everyone's going to laugh at me. But the problem is that when, you know, you and I go into debate with someone and, uh, you know, they start saying you're fat and you're bald, everyone cheers them. Right, so it's, the audience is also part of the problem, but that's been the case ever since the days of Socrates. But until until the audience gets that there is a skill set that that people need to learn, uh, that they need to have grown up, that they need to have dealt with some of their personal issues in order to debate things about ethics, like ethics, without triggering their own or other people's defenses, that they need to, you know, Socrates said, "Know thyself, know thyself." That is the beginning of wisdom. That is the beginning of wisdom, because until you know who you are, you can't study the world. And so many people just want to go out there storming out, trying to solve all the problems in the world without having looked in the mirror first, and they end up doing so much damage. It's incalculable. Absolutely. Um, I, it's something actually that, that pops in my mind about it is that when somebody is truly secure in themselves, they're extremely quick to uh, to admit when they're wrong, because you don't want to be wrong. There's two ways to look at that. You can either pretend that you're not wrong, and try to convince everyone else that you're not wrong and then insult the other person so that they're not paying attention to the fact that you were in fact wrong. Or you can say, I don't want to be wrong. So I adopt a new idea and then now I'm no longer wrong because now if somebody asked me about that same topic, I'd give the correct answer because I know the correct answer because I learned something from my intellectual exchange that I had with somebody the other day. And I realized that not everybody gets that. There are people, for example, who communicate with me you know, who say, you know, VTV, I, I, I rarely, you know, VTV, you know, using my like, you know, internet call sign, I rarely see you, you know, admit that you're wrong. And I say that's actually because rarely do I ever get involved in a conversation about things that I don't, you know, where I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm very in touch with my own weaknesses and the things that I'm not any good at. So I just don't get into arguments like that. I know, for example, I'm terrible at math. I have a learning disability in math. There's no point in me arguing math with anybody. Why would I? You know, but when you know and when somebody does say something that makes more sense and i go oh yeah you're right and then i just keep talking you know it's it doesn't need to be a big knockdown drag out fight where two people are going at it and then eventually after 3 hours of yelling insults at each other where the other guy concedes that actually makes it less likely that the person is going to admit that they're wrong because now you've drawn their ego into it yeah so but even if you look at the language you use at the beginning say you're wrong or i'm wrong well my identity is not associated with my arguments. The, the two are very separate. You know, I, I put forward a particular argument, and of course I, I would prefer to be right than the, the, for the argument to be correct. And, but, but if the argument turns out to be incorrect, then an argument that I made is incorrect, or an argument that I've made is wrong, or an argument that I made is fallacious or self-contradictory or whatever, it doesn't conform with the evidence. But that's not me. That's an argument that I have created. That doesn't mean that I, as a human being, as an entity, am wrong in some existential way. It's like, no, I just, you know, I made an argument that, that was wrong. That, that, but that's not, oh, I, I'm wrong or you're wrong. It's like, you know, I, I think that we could think better together. I mean, that's the way I always try to approach debates. You know, I think that we could think better together. And generally, that turns out to be the case. Absolutely. And I think that mankind in general will do better when we have these kinds of exchanges without any kind of fear i think that fear is the the best way to deactivate the brain because of the the fight or flight that you were talking about earlier and as soon as you've inv invoked something that makes somebody afraid they're thinking less uh you know they're not thinking more
And then it becomes, when loose, it becomes the, the gazelle and the hungry lion. Like either the gazelle gets the way and the lion gets hungrier, or the lion catches the gazelle and the gazelle gets dead. Uh, and and that, that's the level, unfortunately, that we're so often working at. But see, this is the way it, it all comes back to childhood, as I consistently beat the same damn drum. You know, if, if you have a toy, if we're three years old and you have a toy and I have a toy, and I want the toy and I take it from you, then I have the toy and you don't. That's win-lose. Right, but this is the the toy is like the truth, and people are like I yank it from you, and now you don't have it, and I have it, and I'm better, and you're you know you're crying, and I'm dancing, and the, the, but this is the level. Children have a tough time conceiving of win-win negotiations, very tough time, and and that's exactly how they should be, by the way, because children grow to get resources, because throughout most of history there weren't enough resources to feed children, so children had to be aggressive in getting their resources and not sharing, because otherwise they would often die from starvation or neglect or want or whatever. And so I'm very glad that my daughter doesn't like to share. I mean, it would be weird if she did. It would be like some sort of, when you reincarnated as a tiny little Mother Teresa here, that's no good. So I'm very, you know, but she needs to you know, understand that she's in a situation of abundance, that, you know, if, if I take something, she can still have something and she can share with other kids and she can learn to enjoy other kids playing. You can play with other kids. But, but this is the level at which people get stuck. And so they end up with the truth being a toy that they have to grab violently from someone else so that other person cries and they, they are victorious. They just, again, and it's a lack of parental involvement, a lack of authority involvement that teaches them how sharing is beneficial in the long run. But it requires a longer view of cause and effect than children are born with. And you know, again, it's nothing wrong with the kids. They're doing exactly what they should be doing. My argument is that, that the adults in their life aren't. Right. Um, I think uh, actually that there is somebody else who's interested in calling in, and I know you need to go soon, so I won't take too much longer on this. But uh, I do want to thank you for being on tonight, and uh, go ahead and give the once again give the link to your website, and um, you know basically the people who are interested in hearing more of your work. Sure, it's uh, freedomainradio.com. Uh, if you want to check out the video series that I think is most relevant to what we're talking about, it's called "The Bomb in the Brain." the true roots of human violence, you can go to fdrurl.com forward slash B-I-B and um, don't do a search for my name and spanking videos because, dear God, you will see some stuff that I did when I was younger that's completely unholy with a llama and a ping pong battle and a vat of jello. Uh, but maybe if you just stick to my YouTube channel and search for it there, you might bypass the stuff that will make you wish you were blind or may actually make you blind yourself. That has been recorded, so... I hope that helps. Excellent. Well, let me go ahead and bring this person on. Caller from the 631 area code, you're on the air. Hello. How are you doing? Not too bad. I was just listening to the conversation, and it was very profound. I uh, I agree with a lot of the points. Uh, I notice when I speak with people that are very aggressive in debating, uh, being open-minded seems to be uh, whenever you agree with them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, it, it's brought me to a new, you know, uh, form of delivery for certain things. Uh, one thing I did notice with the with the um, with the non-aggression principle, what I've noticed is for things that I that I don't feel are good or for the betterment of the planet and people, uh, I don't support. And you know, I realize that if you want to get rid of something without violence, the best way is to starve it. And uh, anytime you give something to it, it'll it'll come back to life. And you know it's very important. Uh, you you the two of you brought up some pretty good points with uh, in debates. I, I've 
kind of categorized it when somebody tries to to take it somewhere else i realize that that is like a an evasive and also projection so if i'm say say if i talk about something that's wrong right now if it's uh, modern day slavery somebody might say well you know they had slavery at this time and i say well that that's projection you you know we're not talking about slavery 300 years ago we're talking about right now and um the the i wouldn't want to say a majority but sometimes it seems to be people seem to be uh actually mentally less you know e- even a lot of people that have uh, graduated college and have degrees to find free thinking individuals seems to be less and less dr uh mm. i think it's russell blaylock he produced a video um talking about they are producing l- people with uh less people with higher IQs and more people with lower IQs directly linked to like food and you know what they're putting in the water and you know just uh not having more natural uh uh choices in you know fruit and you know I brought this up with a man that I know that runs the supermarket and I said you know it you know I've noticed when I come in here since I've been a child you've had pepsi or soda and sugar and there has never been a shortage any time i come in here you'll always have those two items but to find an organic apple or an mm. unsprayed orange you might have it and you might not so you know that also but then also the fact that i can pay less for an apple sprayed with something like poison but I have to pay more for an apple that isn't sprayed with poison. Well, well, I find this interesting. It is a bit of a tangent, and we don't have a lot of time left. Um, could you get? Uh, I think actually, Stefan would point out that one of the other things that's lowering IQs is this child abuse issue. Um, you talked about that as well. If you want to comment on that, Stefan, that uh, statistically, children are coming out with lower IQs because of child abuse and spanking. Yeah, look, I mean, statistics vary, but there does seem to be a trend upwards in child abuse. Whether that's an increase in the reporting of child abuse or the incidence of child abuse, is, you can't know for sure. Child abuse tends to be increasing, uh, particularly in, um, in America and in the, in the UK. This results in low. You see the, the, the myth of the dumb American. Ah, oh, dumb American. Well, no, the reality is that uh, American children tend to get more abuse, which means that they result in three to five point less IQ. And that's significant. That's a significant amount of intelligence that gets shaved off just through spanking. That's just through spanking, let alone other forms of abuse. 40% of Americans believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back within the next 40 years. These people have not been taught critical thinking. You can't be taught critical thinking and be a fundamentalist. The two are polar, polar, polar opposites. Or, if you are, you have a huge split in your personality where one part is medieval and one part is is scientific, which is also very dangerous. So, uh, I would agree with that. Now, the problem is, of course, that um, uh, people who can't afford the more expensive apples um, will uh, are better off having some form of apples. I don't think it's necessarily poisons in the environment, though I don't think those are very good. I think education has gotten a hell of a lot worse since the 1960s when it became impossible to fire teachers. But it takes a while because you still got good teachers from the old system in the same way that NASA did a lot of good engineering in the 1960s and 1970s and now sucks because it takes a long time for the original ethic to be replaced with the the sort of um, bureaucratic ethics. So schools are a lot worse. Um, 
peers don't educate each other nearly to the extent that adults will educate children. And so less exposure to adults means less exposure to education and more exposure to the emotionally terrifying interactions often with, with peers. So worse education, I think the food has gotten worse simply because people have less time to cook quality meals. Uh, and I agree with you with all of that. Uh, video games, again, I, I love video games myself. No problem with video games whatsoever, but they will teach your fight and flight mechanism and your stimulus response and your motor skills. They don't teach you philosophy. <laughs> they don't teach you ethics. Uh, they don't teach you virtue. They don't teach you deferral of gratification. And quite the opposite in a way. So, I mean, there's, I, you could go on and on. There's a cluster, a huge number of factors. Education, lack of access to adulthood, uh, overexposure to peers, some bad food, um, uh, child abuse increases, uh, the continuation, 90% of children in America are spanked. It's, it's horrendous, horrendous. And so I think that there is a, a sort of dumbing down. Uh, on the other hand, um, other improvements have been pushing up IQ, but I think that's in different segments within society. And if you put that into sort of government schools with, with um, the sort of socialized uh, housing that goes on in government projects where so many people are sort of single parents, uh, single parent households headed by women are very bad for boys, bad for girls too. Uh, and so there's a huge amount, this underclass of people who are understimulated, who don't see people work and thus have less of an incentive to get an education and to defer gratification and take those crap jobs that get your first foot on the rung of the ladder. All of these things are contributing, I think, to a great dumbing down. Um, I, I think I've certainly noticed it, and um, I, I think you're not alone in that. The last thing I would say is to remember what George Carlin said. You know how dumb the average person is? Well, half of them are even dumber. And I think that's just something to remember. It's sad, but true. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for um, calling I, I, in. Um, did you have a final point? Uh, yeah. Uh, what I do notice from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and now, is that from... From back then, uh, the problem with the child abuse, the unnatural foods, and what I've seen to be a perpetual state of immaturity, we basically have a vast amount of adults that aren't mature. And mm. the behavior that we can look at from adults the, of, in, in America and, and a lot around Western countries around the world is a very immature view. You'll find a few that can think logically and reasonably, and we'll see that violence isn't the answer. But many of them are, are just immature. Politics will show us this clearly. We have mm. immature people that are in powerful places that use might as right and massive uh, tools like television, radio, and newspaper <laughs> to to brainwash the people. I mean, it, we, we can clearly see from this past week that just happened uh, the amount of propaganda that was going into actually celebrate death. And, and, and a girl made a very good point. She said, look, I don't celebrate my grandmother's death. She goes, I might celebrate her birthday that she's been passed, but uh, to celebrate the funeral day is, is just uh, morbid. And it's very close to people worshiping in a church, you know. They, a, a woman's breast is illegal to see, which is, gives us life. So the symbol of life, is illegal, but to see a man almost naked on a piece of wood with a little bit of blood and in a suffering stance, that's not only legal, but it's worshipped. So it's actually a culture of worshipping suffering and death and by immature adults, which are uh, putting the children through uh, torture as they're growing up. It, it, it's terrible, and he made a good point with the peers, 
are keeping people also in immaturity because the kids are growing up and video games, you know, I used to play them a lot and I do think that they are a mode of programming that goes beyond what we even think we might be doing. We could be playing a game thinking it's a flight simulator, but who knows? We're watching a lighted box, a square lighted box that is a tool similar to what hypnotists use. Mm. So it, it really could be a form of hypnotizing. When I see a child that will recognize a McDonald's symbol or a Pepsi symbol but doesn't know a leaf you know, that goes to a certain tree, I start to realize we might know things that don't, doesn't really matter. You know, what, what does really matter more? How to create a sustainable planet, plant food, know the seasons, know the, uh, you know, when something's ripe, or know, you know, symbols from media and pop stars and when a video game comes out or a movie. So just logical sense. Common sense I don't like to call it because it's really uncommon. So I guess that was the point that I really wanted to make. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, you should consider being a panelist on a future show. Obviously, you have a lot to say. Yeah, well, I, I listen. I just to turn the show to that guy. I could listen to him all night. I think that was just great, beautifully, beautifully put. I mean, I, I couldn't argue with with the thing that you said. I, I think that was just beautifully and 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 movingly put. And I even abandoned a bad joke just to continue listening. And and that's hard for me to do. That's my addiction. So. <laughs> Okay, well, um, I guess then to cap things off, because I know you need to leave, um, I, basically, uh, the whole point of all of this was to try to get people to look at the non-aggression principle for what its original purpose was and to kind of expand their thinking on it, because we live in a world now where you can affect social change without just walking up and punching somebody in the face. You know, we live in a world where you can destroy somebody's image, their reputation so easily uh, that in a way that you know we never would have conceived of before, uh, we live in a world where people are conditioned just to kind of believe what they read. They don't really think very heavily on it, and it makes it very easy for somebody to to take that route to to make you know affect social change. In addition to that, you know we just we touched a little bit on the fact that you know, and, and I'm glad that you agreed. In many cases, because there's so much argument about the global warming thing. I've noticed that many libertarians are like anti-environmental in any way, which I think is kind of an unfortunate like rubber banding snapback effect. It's not like we shouldn't care about the environment at all just because global warming may or may not be a hoax. But, you know, that's another example, actually, of the kind of cages people put themselves in mentally. Um, you know, so but as far as the, the non-aggression principle when it comes to issues like verbal, written aggression, We've gone over the fact that it has a psychological impact on people. Clearly, I mean, it's causing suicide in some cases, so it's affecting and it's hurting people. And if that's the means by which that you want to affect whether or not you've quote-unquote won or lost an argument, then I think actually something that you said the first time that I interviewed you kind of came to mind was when we were discussing you know, the issue of different ways that people were treating the zeitgeist movement, and you were like, these people need to get therapy and learn how to communicate. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that is true, and I, I you know it, it's it's for their own sake more than anyone else. I mean, the, the the future that they're creating for themselves through these kinds of actions is, I mean, it's tragic. I mean, my, I've seen it again. I've seen it in my own life, and uh, it's boy, if people could see the road that they're heading down, the where it ends up, uh, they they'd run back. But again, you know, everybody has that choice, and everybody has to accept the consequences of what they do. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you very once again, Stefan, for being on tonight. Um, I would like to talk to you personally about the parenting issue a little bit more at some point off the air. Um, and uh, I look forward to future shows. What do you guys? What do you have coming up on Freedom Main Radio? Well, uh, I'm doing some traveling. Uh, I am uh, going to be hosting. Uh, I'm the MC at a big conference out on the West Coast called Libertopia. I just came back from New York last weekend, where I spoke at Liberty Fest too. And then I'm going on a Liberty Cruise because you know my job is just too tough for words. <laughs> and so uh, uh, I'm doing some speaking engagements coming up. Um, I'm working on uh, a new book at the moment, and I'm planning on having uh, an online debate about the merits of political action with a, a very well-respected uh, libertarian academic. So, yeah, these are the things that are, that are going on, and the usual uh, dribbles of interviews where real experts put my eloquence to shame, so the usual. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Stefan. And um, I, I don't, you know, I'm sure we'll end up finding some clips from this conversation that'll end up in the film. And uh, if you come up with anything later that you'd like to add, you know, by all means, you know, you have my Skype. And if there's ever another conversation you want to have, we can do that as well. Um, and thanks again for, uh, you know, obviously telling your listeners you were going to be on here tonight. And I did the same. And um, just even if at the end of the day, uh, we have to support independent media because uh, I'd really much rather that people are listening to you, even if I don't agree with everything that you say, you know, politically, I'd much rather they were watching you than, say, Fox News or you know, some of the other people you know, just they, they've you know, who've have their heads shoved up Sarah Palin's derriere who have no idea what they're talking about. You know, you make people think. And it's the fact that actually that I can respect you, even though I don't agree with everything you say, and that you and I can have these conversations. And this is, I feel, what I'm hoping is the model that my film can help people try to achieve, is to put down the axe and to start really communicating as human beings. Yes, and that debates should be win-win and they should be enjoyable. They should be like jamming. You know, musicians uh, should be like a jazz jam. Uh, something where you can go, go in different directions, but you can make some beautiful music from, and the, the sum is greater than its parts. And uh, I think that's the most productive conversations that can come out. And once you get involved in those conversations, you know that win-lose, dick-measuring stuff uh, just doesn't really hold any appeal anymore. So well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, as always, it was a really great pleasure. And uh, I, just, I just wish Aaron had let us get more of a word in edgewise. I mean, I really felt like I was fighting a tsunami of speech with that fellow. But anyway, maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, well, he was commenting in the chat. Asleep? I, I heard a thumb. No, he's just here. Like... He, just, he was really enjoying listening to us talk, so he didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, I'll talk to you guys soon, and thanks again for the invite. Thanks again, Stefan. Bye.